Hello, this is Evan Brand. Thanks for joining me. I know there's a little bit of an echo that you may hear. I've got some extra wood flooring, so I'm in the new house now. Everything's good, uh, but it's a little echoey in my new office. So I've got some extra cork flooring that I'm going to put on the walls and make it like a cork wall panel, and it should reduce the echo. None of you have complained about it. Maybe you didn't even notice it until I said it, but it's something that I notice and something that will sound much better once I fix the office and make it a little more like a studio. So anyhow, little brief tangent. So Dr. Jockers, David Jockers, which is a guy who I look up to and I love his content, turns out he listens to the show and he loves the podcast that Justin and I do together. That was so fun. I just interviewed him this morning. Uh, he's going to be a featured expert on my Candida Summit, which is launching in July. So that was cool that he liked it. Uh, so shout out to Dr. Jockers if you're out there. Hey, hope you're having a good day. Uh, anyhow, now today we're chatting with Dr. Brian Mole. And he is the diabetes coach, the diabetes expert. And this podcast is all about type 2 diabetes, some of the biomarkers to look for, some of the causes, some of the main issues, even some of the pharmaceutical drugs. Literally, you can induce diabetes with medications, things like statins. We're going to get into that in this conversation. You cannot afford to not listen to this episode. And in terms of his summit, that's also what I'm promoting is his diabetes summit, which is coming up in April. Make sure you register for that now so that you do not miss it. I think it's going to be one of the best summits of the year. The heavy metal summit was awesome. This one's going to be great as well. The link that you'll want to write down, put it in your phone, write it down, whatever. It's going to be evanbrand.com slash sugar. evanbrand.com slash sugar. That's how you can register for the Candida summit. No. That's for the <laughs> that's for the uh, the diabetes summit. You know what I meant, though. I'll have a separate link for the Candida summit when that's available. All right. Now, if you want to schedule a functional medicine consult with me, you probably know this by now, but I work worldwide via phone and Skype. So if you need to reach out, do that at my site, evanbrand.com. You can learn more about me, my background, my story, if you don't know that stuff already. All right. That's it. Let's get into the show. Enjoy. Dr. Brian Mole is the founder and medical director of Sweet Life Diabetes Health Centers, and he serves clients worldwide as the diabetes coach. He is a master licensed diabetes educator and was one of the first doctors to be certified to practice functional medicine by the prestigious Institute for Functional Medicine. Since 98, he's been helping people across North America optimize their health and metabolism, control blood sugar, and reverse type 2 diabetes using a natural, personalized lifestyle approach. Dr. Brian, thanks for joining me. Evan, thank you so much for having me. Excited to be on with you. I looked back at our history. It said we haven't chatted for three months. It seems like it was just yesterday we were recording <laughs> interviews together. That's right. That's right. And and really good interviews, too. I'm, I'm excited to bring those out to the world. Yeah. So what we're chatting about today is obviously diabetes, and this is partly um, because I want to help and promote your summit because... I mean, more and more people are becoming diabetic. I'm sure we can chat about some statistics here, and I'll try to pull up a couple numbers, too, that are recent. But uh, even my grandma, as I was telling you, you know, she plays tennis three, four times a week, and then she wakes up and she eats Pillsbury biscuits. And it's like, mm. Grandma, please. I've been, I've been trying to get her closer to, like, a Whole Foods paleo template for I don't know how many years, but she just can't do it. And the orange juice, it's like... Orange juice is garbage. Please tell us why orange juice is just a joke. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know how many exactly, but probably close to 13 or 14 teaspoons of sugar, you know, per glass. It's a lot of sugar and heavily processed. You know, you're not getting much benefit out of orange juice. If you want, if you want the benefit from oranges, eat the orange. 
although I'm not a huge fan of eating lots of fruit, particularly out of season. I think in the summertime there's some room, especially if we're super active for some fruit. We're going to burn a lot of that uh, sugar, the uh, glucose and fructose and fruit. But uh, unfortunately, these fruits are available year-round, and not only the fruits, but then these processed fruit juices, which take all the uh, positive benefits of fruit off the table, and now you're just getting basically a glass of sugar. And it's uh, the problem is it's not just glucose either. It's it's a, a combination of fructose and glucose, and actually more fructose than glucose. You've heard all this uh, negative press about high fructose corn syrup, which is about 55% fructose, and uh, some fruits have up to 70% fructose, and so all that fructose goes to the liver. It doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't get absorbed right into the gut like glucose does, and, and into the bloodstream it goes to the liver and then uh, if, uh, you know, if we're super active and burning a lot of uh, energy throughout the day, which, may, you know, maybe uh, she is, but most people are not, unfortunately. So they uh, turn that fructose basically into fat and it builds up around the liver, causes non- non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which is one of the main contributors to diabetes. It's crazy. I, so I pulled up the CDC page here. So this is the most recent statistic, and you, you may have more recent or even worse numbers, but uh, 30 million U.S. adults have diabetes. One in four of them don't know they have it. Diabetes is the seventh leading cause of death in the U.S. It's the number one cause of kidney failure, lower limb amputations, and adult onset blindness. In the last 20 years, the number of adults diagnosed with diabetes has more than tripled. And 84 million have prediabetes, and 90% of them don't know they have it. That's right. And I think it's that second part. I mean, diabetes is awful, obviously. And leading cause of adult blindness, lower limb amputation, as you mentioned, kidney failure. It's a major contributor to heart disease, cardiovascular disease, uh, cerebrovascular disease. But... I think for a lot of the people listening today, the bigger deal is that second part. You know, when you look at prediabetes, which are people who have elevated blood sugar, not in the diabetes range yet, but elevated, and uh, so much more than that. It's not just about blood sugar. It's this whole metabolic insulin signaling problem, and that makes up, you know, the prediabetes and diabetes uh, together uh, is about half the U.S. population right now. And unfortunately, as you said, many of those people don't know they have it. Worse than that, this is a problem in and of itself, a major problem. We see people all the time who are in the prediabetes range who are having diabetes-like complications, They're having sexual dysfunction, ED in men. Uh, Women are having PCOS and fertility issues and uh, cystic um, uh, ovaries and so forth, plus weight gain. They're building up fat around their organs, which leads to systemic inflammation, can be a big trigger for dementia and brain disease, not to mention uh, 
how they feel. Their lipids go up. They start getting uh, high cholesterol, triglyceride levels, raises the risk for heart disease. And uh, what happens behind all this is insulin levels start to rise. Insulin is a pro-inflammatory hormone and a fat storage hormone. So it really short circuits our metabolic machinery and everything starts going wrong. And that's where a lot of the complications from diabetes start. It's not just the high blood sugar. And that's why I think this is such an important topic to cover with your listeners because I bet a very small percentage of them have diabetes or they may know people with diabetes, but it's not about having a blood sugar of two or 300. You know, this is uh, having a blood sugar of, of 95 or 97 or 105. This is already a sign of serious problems. And so if, if that's the case, need to pay attention. Wow. Now that's your fasting glucose you're saying? If that's at 90, you're starting to get in trouble? Uh, yeah, potentially. Potentially. And, and uh, it's at least worth doing some deeper investigation. Now, some some people can have a blood sugar that sits a little higher than average. So we, we give a range of 76 to 92 as sort of a an okay fasting range, an acceptable fasting range. Certainly if it's getting up into the mid-90s or over 100, uh, that's not normal for anyone. But yeah, once it's uh, once it's up over 90, that should be a clue to start digging deeper and see what's going on because what you have to realize is the body will fight to keep homeostasis. The body wants your blood sugar to be normal. The blood sugar is an end result. And it'll do everything it possibly can to keep your blood sugar in that range for as long as it possibly can. So you may have a blood sugar in the mid-90s for 10 or 15 or 20 years, or it may slowly creep up, eventually get over 100 and you think, oh, well, you know, this is just really slowly moving up. It's not a big deal. But underneath the surface, your body is fighting just a, an all-out war to keep it down. And if you could see the battle going on beneath the surface, you'd realize, wow, uh, this is, there's a lot of damage being done here. And, and I wish I had found this, dug a little deeper sooner and fixed this way earlier because once the blood sugar, once the body loses that battle and the blood sugar then all of a sudden jumps up to 130, 140, 150, 180, then there's a lot of damage done and it becomes way more difficult to heal than if you catch it earlier. Understood. So like when you get your your A1C level, like your long-term blood sugar, what is that? Is it like the last two or three months? How long does that A1C show? Yeah, so A1C is a receptor on uh, the hemoglobin, which is the oxygen-carrying component of the red blood cell, the erythrocyte. So we've got these red blood cells carry oxygen uh, through the heme protein. It's an iron protein. And there's a receptor called the A1C receptor. And sugar can bind to this receptor. And when we... uh, when a certain percentage of those receptors have sugar bound to them, uh, we know that uh, problems are lurking. So there's an acceptable percentage, which is generally around four and a half to five and a half 
so that's called the hemoglobin A1C test, and it's a it's a percentage, so it'll be four and a half to five and a half percent is uh, okay. Once that percentage starts going up, that tells us that more and more of these receptors are being clogged or coated with sugar. And uh, you can imagine, you know, pouring sugar into your engine of your car or uh, just, you know, pouring over the gears of of some machine. It's not going to do good things. And it doesn't do good things for the machinery of your body. The interesting thing about the A1C test is it's not a blood sugar test. So it's not measuring the amount of sugar in your blood. It's measuring the amount of damage done basically to the red blood cell from the sugar in your blood. And that makes it a really important and valuable test because we can extrapolate that. We can say, okay, if this much of the red blood cell A1C receptors are uh, coated in sugar, then that means that the brain cells, the endothelium or the lining of the cardiovascular system, these small blood vessels in the feet and the eyes and the organs are undergoing the same amount of damage. So when you see an A1C that's above 5.5%, it starts getting into the uh, 6.0, 6.5, which by the way is where we diagnose diabetes at 6.5 or above. Uh, when it starts getting even higher, I, I've seen people with A1Cs of uh, 10, 15, even above that, 20 sometimes, which is crazy. But Gosh. these are super, super, super high uh, numbers. Uh, their bodies are just, I mean, they're they're walking around with thick, syrupy blood that's filled with sugar, and it's destroying every cell of their body. So when you send A1C of, of even six to seven, that's telling you that damage is being done, not just to these red blood cells, but to every cell of the body. And that, that's why that's such an important test. My gosh. So what happens once you hit that level? What, and I know this is going to vary on the person and history and all that, but what are the things that are going to start to happen? Like the domino effect, is it the eyes? Like you start forming cataracts or like, what's the, maybe the order of operations once the the diabetes diagnosis has been made, the A1C level 6.5 or higher. What's maybe the chain of events that follows in terms of like future diagnoses and things like that that happen? Yeah, we, we really don't know, unfortunately. Some people will go uh, decades without developing any apparent complications. Other people uh, within the first year are developing serious complications. So this is a form of oxidative stress. And oxidative stress is essentially damage being done to uh, the uh, essentially the, the DNA of these cells um, and the proteins in particular uh, undergo uh, basically damage from some sort of uh, toxin. And that can be something like sugar or something like a reactive oxygen species uh, or other toxins. So you can protect your body against this type of oxidative stress with a really good diet. Now, chances are if you have a really good diet, you're probably not sitting with an A1C of 6.5. But some people maybe just eat too much, uh, you know, too many foods that will drive their blood sugar up. But they are eating a whole food, real food diet and they're getting a lot of good 
you know, antioxidant nutrition and so forth. So they may prevent some of these complications. Let me ask you what that would be. Is that like the 30 bananas a day people or who is that? <laughs> right. That's a good question. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's the people who probably eat uh, real food, but it's just too many carbs and probably too many processed carbs too. Can you do it with fruit? I, I really think you can. Fruit is a confusing one because it's, it, it seems like such a real whole natural food and it is. Uh, we just eat it in inappropriate ways. I mentioned it earlier, but you know, fruit was certainly not available the way it is now, uh, even just a, a couple hundred years ago. Uh, you know, this is blueberries are, you know, flown in from uh, South America in uh, you know in, in March, and unfortunately, you know, when we start eating those, uh, you know, it's just the body doesn't know what to do with them. So it's it's just too much sugar at the wrong time. Well, not you know, to mention days, not yeah. to mention the the hybridization of fruit too. So right. I mean, you're never ever 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 going to see a strawberry in the wild as big as the strawberries you see at the grocery store. And I think that's something people don't talk about. They'll say, "Okay, look, organic berries are good, but it's like, my god, I've seen organic strawberries as big as my hand." It's like that is not that's... Evan, I was I was in the grocery store two days ago, and I'm not kidding you. There is there is a, a pile of apples that were three quarters of the size of my son's head. I mean, they were gigantic. They were they were bigger than grapefruits. And I was like, how is this an apple? Like, what? <laughs> how, how does an apple get to this? Oh you know, what are they doing to these apple trees? Uh, and, and you know, most of that is, is just sugar. Um, the fiber content goes down. It becomes basically a matrix of, of apple juice, you know, in this package, which is, is mostly sugar. So, so let me ask you this. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Is it the, I mean, do you get in like with your clients, do you worry about getting into the species of apples? Like, or say, are you saying, Hey, look, you need to go for like a granny Smith or a red delicious instead of like a pink lady or a honey crisp, because those are containing less sugar. Or is it really just, if you're eating a normal sized, smaller than your palm sized apple, you're probably okay. Like how do you divvy, divvy that conversation up? For sure. Yeah. You know, I used to do that because I used to put a lot more, uh, credence into the glycemic index scale, which is which is kind of a rating system of how foods uh, affect your blood sugar. So you know if you eat a certain food, like like a white potato, obviously that's going to have a very high glycemic index. It's going to spike your blood sugar. Where something like an almond might have a very low glycemic index and and have virtually no effect on your blood sugar. Well, you can get into the the details of that with each species of, of a fruit, like an apple and Granny Smith apples, for example, have a lower glycemic index than uh, a red delicious apple. So I used to say, well, maybe the Granny Smith is better. Uh, but then I started realizing that uh, the with apples and a lot of fruit, the glycemic index is actually more of a reflection of the percentage of fructose versus glucose in that fruit. And uh, realize that, wow, fructose, even though it doesn't raise blood sugar as much as glucose does, uh, it still has negative consequences. And I, I mentioned those earlier with the liver and how it gets metabolized. So then I started saying, well, I guess it's really not that important, you know, the glycemic index of these particular fruits 
probably what's more important is the amount of total uh, sugar. And then, uh, then I started realizing that labels and nutrient fact panels uh, are mostly wrong and they uh, hide sugar in different ways, even in things like fruits. So uh, then I started paying more attention just to total carbohydrates. And so then we, what, what we tell our, our clients to do is just take total carbohydrates, subtract off the fiber, and just assume the rest of that is sugar. Uh, because even if it's starch, it's going to get broken down into sugar. So give us uh, an example. Give us, give us an example of what that would look like. Like make up some numbers in a food. Yeah, so, so let's say an apple has 25 grams of total carbohydrates and uh, it has 2 grams of fiber. So you would take that 25 uh, total carbs, subtract 2, subtract the 2 grams of fiber, and then you're left with 23 grams of, uh, of what we would term net carbs. And uh, now it might, you might read somewhere that an apple has 15 grams of sugar, and so what's the rest of that, you know, between the 23 and the 15? Well, we don't know. Uh, we don't know what they're terming that, but really uh, it seems to all boil down to sugar eventually. So, so then uh, instead, of, instead of looking at the sugar grams in a particular food, uh, we look at the total carbs minus the fiber. So in this case, 25 total minus 2 grams of fiber is 23 grams of net carbs or what we can assume to uh, eventually become sugar in the system. So that's the number I use. So if you're okay eating 23 grams of sugar all at once, then, uh, then, then go for it. But I don't typically recommend that for most people, especially if you have blood sugar issues um, and certainly not all by itself. Now, uh, that might be a little bit high. That would be a large apple. Uh, as you said earlier, what I usually recommend is get the normal size apples. If you, if you want to eat an apple, I wouldn't do more than one a day, but if you want to eat an apple, get like a normal size apple, you know, the size of a, uh, maybe a racquetball or, or smaller. And, um, and you know, that's going to be probably more like 12 grams of sugar in, the, in that type of apple. Now, if you have diabetes, would you take that out of the picture completely? Do you leave people with, hey, you can do a handful of organic blueberries if they're in season? Like, how do you approach this? Let's say somebody listening, you've already got diabetes. How should you be approaching fruit until you get the blood sugar thing under control? Yeah, great, great question. And so some of this has to do with that person and their, their metabolic function. So uh, believe it or not, there are people with type 2 diabetes who don't look like they have type 2 diabetes. They're actually highly active. They eat a pretty good diet. They look healthy on the outside, but their metabolism, metabolic function is just such. And, and, you know, maybe this is due to some other factors which you can talk about, like exposure to toxins and uh, gut issues and other, other problems. But for some reason, their metabolism has short-circuited and they just can't process glucose in the way that someone without diabetes can. So in those people, uh, they can usually get away with a bit more because they're highly active, they're burning uh, these sugars. Uh, I still don't recommend a lot of fruit. So in those cases, I might say two servings of fruit a day. Um, I do like berries as at least one of those. 
and it doesn't seem to matter which berry. I think raspberries and and uh, you know strawberries are probably the best. The red ones, the blackberries and blueberries are good also. There's very little difference. They're they're relatively low sugar and relatively high fiber for a fruit. Plus, they're loaded with polyphenols and flavonoids. So uh, you're getting a lot of benefits from berries as well. So uh, at least one serving would be berries. And then the other one, maybe a half an apple or a small apple uh, would be fine. A small piece of citrus, a half a grapefruit, something like that. Um, I don't really recommend bananas, tropical fruits like mango, papaya, uh, pineapple, those types of things for people with blood sugar issues because it's just way too much unprotected sugar, not enough fiber, too much, too much sugar. But uh, I found that the people who are highly active, who are, so we store sugar in the form of glycogen in our muscles and liver. And if you're, if you're constantly burning the glycogen, so you're playing tennis, uh, you're out running, you're doing high intensity training, you're lifting uh, weights or doing some resistance training, you're burning the glycogen in the muscles and you're burning the glycogen stored in the liver. So then your body's going to replace that. And so the, the fructose coming from the fruit and, and the extra glucose in your system will go to replace that glycogen rather than getting converted to fat or, or raising your blood sugar. If you're not doing those things, though, if you're more sedentary or you, know, you have that kind of job where you're just sitting all day long and you know, maybe in the evening you go out for a half an hour walk or something, that's just not enough. You're really not burning that glycogen. So your glycogen stores, your sugar buckets, if you will, are always full. So when you take in some fructose, the body has nothing to do with that other than turn it into fat. And that fat is what causes a lot of the insulin resistance that leads to diabetes. Got it. Okay, so there's a few other points we need to hit on. Statin drugs is one. Beta blockers being another. Blood pressure medications being another. You and I were looking at some of the literature just before we jumped on, and you had already educated me about statins, but then we were also looking at some literature too talking about beta blockers and blood pressure medications leading and being considered a diabetes-inducing drug, and they're calling it drug-induced diabetes. So could you just chat with us about that, maybe the statin piece or just at a general level? Either's fine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is scary, right? You know, we take – somebody might be put on a beta blocker to manage an abnormal heart rhythm uh, or, you know, for hypertension, prevent hypertension and uh, diuretics – is the other category it kind of pulls fluid from the system, which can lower uh, blood pressure, lower the pressure in the system. And, you know, you think you're doing something good for your body to prevent heart disease. But uh, as you mentioned earlier, there are studies that show that these may be considered diabetogens, which are diabetes-inducing agents. So uh, statins, I mentioned to you, is, has been well established as a diabetogen. It, it actually, statin drugs have been linked in multiple studies to causing diabetes, especially in women. And, uh, you know, the, the risk-benefit ratio with a statin, um, I think the more we know about them, 
you know, they become way more risky and way less beneficial over time, especially when there's a lot of lifestyle factors and other things you can do to improve your, uh, you know, your lipid health. So somebody might take a statin. So here's the, here's the interesting coincidence in all this, not really coincidence, I guess, but the interesting irony in all this is that uh, if you have diabetes, it is standard of care for all doctors to prescribe you a statin medication. Seriously? Yeah. So doctors essentially have to prescribe you a statin drug unless they're going to, you know, go against standard of care and, and kind of violate uh, their, you know, promise to, to follow these guidelines. And so a lot of people will ask me, like my clients will say, you know, my cholesterol is normal. You know, I'm living a healthy lifestyle. I don't have any problems with, I don't even have any real risk for heart disease other than having diabetes. Why is my doctor prescribing me a statin drug? And unfortunately, the answer is they have to. <laughs> you know, it's ridiculous because that's, uh, you know, someone in on the golden throne of, of medicine said, uh, you know, all diabetics get statins. So, Oh, my God. That's a joke. It's crazy. And uh, and then, again, the, the sad irony is that it's a known side effect, an adverse effect of statins, that uh, there's a, a much greater risk of developing diabetes. And so we don't have a lot of good data on what happens if you already have diabetes. But if, you know, if 30% of people on statins will develop diabetes, what's it doing to your system if you already have it? It can't be good. So this is, uh, it, it is crazy. It really seems absolutely crazy. Now, let me ask you this. So w- when the diabetes is happening, you mentioned like kind of a, a sugary blood image, which is a really gross image to think about your, your blood being like syrup. Now, would that also contribute to hypertension? So then you get put on a blood pressure medication as well, which exacerbates the diabetes? Absolutely. Not only, not only the high blood sugar, but as I mentioned earlier, the high insulin. So insulin acts on the kidneys and causes you essentially to retain fluid. It affects the sodium potassium pump in the kidneys. And so uh, one of the classic signs, one of the things we look for for people who have high insulin levels is high blood pressure, hypertension. And in fact, when we start working with people and seeing their cells become more sensitive to insulin, seeing their blood levels of insulin come down to more normal levels, one of the first signs of that is they really start dumping a lot of fluid. And so they become less bloated, they they lose a lot of water weight, and their blood pressure comes down significantly. Like way, it's way more effective than any diuretic just by lowering insulin, by making the body more insulin sensitive. So two mechanisms. And the reason the second one is important is, again, this can happen long before you're ever diagnosed with diabetes. You might be sitting there with a blood sugar of 105 or 110 and also have a mildly elevated blood pressure. Uh, Maybe you have a little bit of extra weight around your midsection and your LDL level or your cholesterol levels are just a tad high. Well, those four things together put you in a category called metabolic syndrome, and there's a 50% greater risk of heart disease, cardiovascular disease with that group of symptoms. 
and a lot of people are in that state. The easy solution, not easy, but the the simple solution is to improve insulin sensitivity, which lowers blood sugar and lowers blood pressure and will help you lose fat around the midsection and also lower your triglycerides and lipids. So this is a huge thing. And, and yes, uh, as you said, once once you cross over into a diabetic range and the blood sugar starts going up, uh, now you've got uh, two things going on. You've still got the high insulin and all the problems from that. And then you've got this extra sugar in the blood, just, you know, it's like little shards of glass floating around in your bloodstream, uh, you know, causing damage to every cell of your body, including your kidney cells, your blood vessels, the vessels in your eyes and feed. And uh, that leads to all the complications of diabetes. So is there a right order of operations to approach this? Like, is it diet first and the movement piece second and then third trying to work with your doctor to get off some of these medications if you can statins high blood pressure medications things like that or what is the optimal order or maybe the order that that you teach your clients about yeah great question evan and then and that is pretty much the order we work in i usually do some detoxification first just to make sure we kind of reset the metabolism and and uh, get the body real clean So we'll do like a modified elimination diet, support the liver. Uh, One thing people don't realize is that type 2 diabetes is more of a liver issue than it is a pancreas issue. The pancreas, which makes insulin, is usually working uh, pretty well. It's making plenty of insulin in type 2 diabetes or certainly in prediabetes. But the liver is just uh, not working. It's, you know, it's congested. It's gunked up. It's got all kinds of... um, uh, problems in the mitochondria, uh, too, too high levels of, of free fatty acids usually around the organ. The detoxification pathways probably aren't working very well. So, so we start by supporting the liver and putting the person on a real clean modified elimination diet. And then we'll shift into more of a long-term uh, low-carb diet approach uh, to minimize uh, sugars, starches, and other irritating foods, grains, uh, beans, legumes, uh, for most people, uh, and eat just a, a real good low-carb, real food diet. Uh, and then once uh, once those big pieces are in place, that's when we start looking at physical activity, uh, stress modulation, sleep quality, gut health, hormone balance, thyroid, adrenals, uh, and you know the whole rest of the functional medicine matrix. Great, great. So you, you're saying you can reverse type 2 diabetes before you even get to the point of you having to work on parasite issues? Uh, yeah. Now, we may not get all the way there. So, you know, we uh, what I look for is the the big levers, you know. So look for the, the dominoes that are going to take down the most problems. Uh, and so the, the order that I mentioned that's it's kind of designed with that in mind. Now there are obviously ind- people have individual issues, and uh, you know I've had plenty of clients who, you know, I look at their diet, it looks pretty good. They're exercising, they're taking good care of themselves, they've lived a pretty clean lifestyle, uh, but something's going on. You know, their blood sugar's high, and uh, you know we do some tests, and they're, you know, they're insulin resistant. So- something's off. You can see some things are off. And then we, you know, then, then we have to say, okay, what is it? And that's when we'll start looking uh, at things like uh, gut health and parasites because there's these physiological stressors which will drive the blood sugar up. It's not just food. 
and it's not just sedentary lifestyle. So physiological stressors to me are anything that'll trigger a stress response from the adrenals, which ultimately will raise blood sugar through cortisol and adrenaline. And uh, those can be things like a gut infection or a bloodborne infection like a Lyme disease or Epstein-Barr virus, uh, a gut infection like parasites or an overgrowth of candida. Uh, it could be uh, just a gut dysbiosis or some sort of inflammatory issue from leaky gut uh, and or a food sensitivity. Uh, it could be chronic pain even. So I've seen people with you know, chronic back or neck issues or other pain syndromes who that will drive that stress response. You know, they're overproducing cortisol to try to mitigate the inflammation and to try to uh, uh, knock down the pain a bit. And uh, that drives their blood sugar up. So there's a wide variety of these physiological stressors that will also raise blood sugar that we have to look for. Um, but those to me are... Uh, you know, they can be big levers for certain people, but, you know, it's not like 95% of people with blood sugar problems have, uh, you know, gut parasite. They might, but, uh, <laughs> but I haven't found that to be the case. Right, right. Well said. There was one other thing we were talking about, which was soybean oil and how there was some pretty interesting literature that was showing that even compared to a diet that was high in fructose, soybean oil was still worse in terms of inducing diabetes and that's the thing i go back to my grandma i mean she'll get these processed meals and processed foods and snacks and everything has soybean oil in it it's just insane so uh, obviously the diet is huge you know and i've got plenty of plenty of resources about that that i can provide to her you know it's all basically a whole foods diet kind of a paleo template but if you still got the processed stuff with the soybean oil in the picture the pharmaceuticals it seems like you're up against you're up against a lot. Now, let's talk just briefly about supplements. Uh, you and I chatted about berberine off air. I use berberine all the time, mainly in gut protocols, and berberine just ends up being an ingredient in some of the, the antimicrobial protocols I use. Uh, but l let's chat about this a bit. What are some of the maybe top two, top three things you think should be in your, your tool chest or your your supplement graveyard, if you will, that, that can actually be beneficial for helping to reverse or just regulate blood sugar and diabetes? Yeah, for sure. I think this is a huge area, and there are a lot of good tools that you can use while you're healing. And, you know, remember that kind of what we're talking about here, I, I put supplements in sort of two categories. One category is, is nutrient-based uh, therapy. So, you know, maybe our body does need some core nutrition to get back to good balance. And then the other category is therapeutic. So some of these supplements can be therapeutic agents. And the therapeutic agents, I, I look at more of a short-term solution, whereas the nutrients, uh, I look at more of a long-term solution. So as an example, uh, chromium and magnesium are both micronutrients that are needed for glucose tolerance and blood sugar regulation. Zinc is a micronutrient, a mineral that's needed for insulin production and insulin sensitivity and insulin release from the pancreas. So these are, these are important ones to look at. There's a whole category of, of nutrients that I'd say people should, should be uh, either checking their status or, or, you know, if they're unsure, uh, just go ahead and take them. Um, that's chromium, magnesium, a uh, biotin, which is 
part of the B complex vitamins, but uh, you can take biotin on its own. And uh, zinc I mentioned as well. Uh, those to me are the most important ones. Selenium is an important uh, micronutrient, which serves as an antioxidant also in the body. So not to so, oversimplify, but sure. a lot of the good multis that you and I use with our clients, some of these professional-grade multis out there, they're going to have a lot of those in, in therapeutic doses. Yeah, and it's amazing how many people don't take a good multi and have a deficiency or at least insufficiency in a lot of these. Vitamin D is another one. I can't forget that. There's been a lot of studies on low vitamin D and incidence of diabetes. So vitamin D is, is, a, is a crucial one as well. But you, you're right. Uh, these are available, again, at nutrient levels in in any really good multivitamin. And, and uh, I caution people not to do the, you know, the cheap ones from the drugstores that are compressed and rock hard with these inorganic vitamins and minerals that, that don't even get absorbed into the body. You know, make sure you're getting a really good, high-quality, professional-grade uh, multi if you're going to take one. Yeah, and then people say, okay, what's professional-grade? Well, that means you've got to have some type of a practitioner to help you access it. Somebody like Dr. Brian, somebody like myself, we've got good many, many, many good options. And you're going to spend a bit more money. But I mean, I wouldn't put some of the other garbage in my body. And you shouldn't either in terms of your Walgreens, your CVS, your Target supplements. I mean, there was that whole big lawsuit. I know you saw it too about all these vitamins and minerals that got tested. They contained none of the active ingredients which were on the label. There are all these big lawsuits about it just a couple years ago from these big box stores. So go to your practitioner, your naturopath, your functional medicine doc, whoever it is. Make sure that a good multi is is on the protocol because that, like, for example, my multi, which I'll put the link up. You can go look at it. It's 200 milligram or 200 microgram rather of selenium. You've got your zinc. You've got your manganese. You've got your chromium. There's B vitamins. I mean, it's not hard, and you may spend twenty bucks a month, if that, for a high right, quality for multi. Sure. Yeah, so that I mean that covers all your nutrients, and then if you want to use things therapeutically, like uh, cinnamon, for example, has been shown to uh, lower uh, glycemic response to food and improve insulin sensitivity. Berberine, you mentioned, is a great therapeutic agent, not only for gut health, but uh, it uh, upregulates something called AMP kinase, which is essentially an energy regulator in the cell. And uh, it, it's the same mechanism that uh, the diabetes drug metformin uses, essentially to lower blood sugar by improving uh, glucose uptake and uh, improving insulin sensitivity. So uh, berberine is one of those things that, that uh, upregulates AMP kinase and, and can help with blood sugar and, and mitochondrial health and energy, energy production. And, uh, and then one other one I'll mention, there's a, there's a Ayurvedic herb called uh, Gymnema uh, sylvestri, which is, a, which is a basically a dried herb, usually comes in 400 milligram capsules, and it's been shown to improve insulin production, improve insulin sensitivity, and help break sugar cravings uh, by helping your body metabolize sugar better. Uh, so that's just one that uh, can be helpful as well if you're looking for some sort of therapeutic agent to help with blood sugar. Perfect. And those could all be in the protocol while you're working on the other stuff. Let's say, I mean, we're not saying, hey, look, go cold turkey off your blood pressure medication. That's a terrible idea. But 
we're saying, look, you could have these tools in the toolbox and then chat with your practitioner and say, hey, look, do I really need to be on this statin? Do I really need to be on this blood pressure medication? Now, if you're stuck with somebody who doesn't think out of the box and they're scared and they just want to do the CYA, cover your ass policy, they may say, look, you've got to stay on the statin. And at that point, you've got to just seek out help. You've got to seek out other ideas because there's just too much research now that is against statins, the pros and cons list. The cons are just massively outweighing the pros. So I just think you've got to find the right person. If you don't have that person on your team already, they're out there. And the best defense uh, against statins is a good offense. So change your lifestyle, get your blood sugar normalized, normalize your lipids. At least they don't have to be perfectly normal, but closer to, you know, what's going to make most doctors comfortable, you know, which is a total cholesterol at least around 200 or so, and, and an LDL under 130 would be better. And uh, and then your doctors uh, can let you do whatever you want to do. They're you know they don't feel like they're putting their license on the line, and and they feel more comfortable, and and your body's healthier. So do everything you can from a lifestyle uh, perspective to get your numbers, uh, to get yourself metabolically healthy enough to where. Uh, the doctor can take statins off the table and then then the fight becomes a lot easier. Right. Yeah. Well said. All right. Last question. Maybe I have one more after, but uh, how do you approach rice or some of the other grains with, with your clients? Is that something in a diabetes case where you'd even want to pull out the rice as well and you would just be doing kind of a paleo template? Maybe that's oversimplifying, but meats, veggies, your good fats. Are you pulling the rices and the other the other carbs out? Yeah, every food that we're going to look at is going to be a balance of pros and cons. So let's just take rice as an example. Uh, To me, I would look at rice and say uh, the potential pros are nutrients and fiber, and the potential cons are uh, irritating factors and anti-nutrients and starch, which becomes sugar. And for rice, uh, you might have trace amounts of fiber and you might have some nutrients. And, and different rice, types of rice have different amounts. So like a black emperor's rice, for example, is going to be much higher in fiber, much lower in starch, much higher in micronutrition. So that one might be acceptable in small amounts. But uh, most rice, like if you look at brown rice or white rice, or the, the rice that most people eat, it's going to be way too high in starch and way too low in fiber and nutrition. So we want nutrient-dense foods that are low in carbs or low in starch and sugar. And rice does not fit that bill. Neither does oatmeal, by the way, which a lot of people are told to eat uh, because of cholesterol and uh, lipids because there is some, there's more fiber in oatmeal than rice, and it's that beta-glucan fiber which is beneficial for cholesterol. But if you look at the profile of, of oatmeal, it's still relatively low fiber and very high starch. So I have not, I mean, I've worked with thousands and thousands of clients over almost 20 years, and I have not found a single person with diabetes or prediabetes who can eat a bowl of oatmeal without raising their blood sugar. So, uh, so you know, these foods I usually don't recommend. We, when we start with a client, we'll usually just cross the board say you get rid of grains uh, because there's just too much starch, not enough fiber and nutrition. It's easier that way too, just from a compliance perspective, I feel like, as opposed to trying to piece this together, oh, can I do quinoa? And then you start trying to do all these pseudo grains and then you're just, you're in the same situation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, most of them, 
even though they may not have, you know, the high lectin counts or the high gluten or, or what have you, they're still way too high in starch. So like eat quinoa, while it's a, it's a better, you know, than, than rice and some other greens, it's still high in starch compared to like nuts, for example. And then what about potatoes, sweet potatoes and white potato? So, uh, Certainly sweet potato, um, which is a totally different vegetable than a white potato, uh, obviously, but uh, a lot of people think they're, they're kind of related. They're really not. They're, they're two totally different uh, vegetables. And uh, so sweet potato is, uh, is fine in moderation for, for most people. Again, pretty starchy, uh, not as starchy as grains, but, uh, but safe for most people. There's, not, there's, there's really no anti-nutrients um, in sweet potato and they're, you know, it contains a fair amount of beta carotene and, and other nutrients and fiber. So a sweet potato in moderation would be fine as long as it doesn't raise the blood sugar. So I, I usually recommend if somebody's going to eat that, uh, any starchy vegetable, uh, beets, you know, have fair amount of sugar, but there's a lot of, of benefits, nutritional benefits of beets. You might want to do a pre and a post blood sugar test. So check your blood sugar, eat the food, and eat it in the context of a meal that you would normally eat. You don't have to do an isolated food test here. So, you know, if you're going to eat a sweet potato and you normally would put butter on it, put butter on it. If you would normally eat it with uh, some fish, uh, you know, have that piece of salmon with the sweet potato. And then an hour later, check your blood sugar and see what happens. If it, uh, if it stays pretty good, uh, then you can eat that sweet potato. If it spikes by 30, 40 points, then probably not a good idea. Okay, so an hour later, if you're 20 points up, you would say that's probably okay. That's about the cutoff I use is about 20 points, yeah. So okay. let's say your blood sugar is 95 before your meal, and it jumps up to 135 you know, or 140 after the meal. Obviously, that's, that's too much of a, of a blood sugar spike. Okay, and when you say after the meal, you're saying don't measure for an hour? Yeah, I, I would give it about one hour. Okay, okay. That's good advice. This is the action step stuff I was looking for, so this is great. I know we're out of time, but... There's this is just like we're scratching the surface. So uh, the link that you all need to write down, get something. If you don't have something to write something down, write down this link. It's going to be my site. So evanbrand.com slash sugar. And what that's going to do, that's going to redirect you to Dr. Brian's summit. There's going to be what, maybe 30 talks, give or take on this summit. Yeah, we're, we're closer to 35. We've got oh uh, quite a few experts and uh, you're on there and uh, a lot of other people, people recognized. Uh, we brought together really an eclectic group of, of experts in all areas. We're talking about toxins. We're talking about vegetable oils. We're talking about different forms of exercise, different stressors, EMFs, uh, gut health, uh, parasites, candida. We cover a lot on this uh, summit, and I think people will really enjoy it. Learn yeah, a lot for sure. Yeah, and, and EMF, believe it or not, folks, you know, I talk about it a lot. EMF can affect blood sugar. So this is something nuts, but it will pre, it will be presented in this event, and it'll be free. And so go sign up. Use the link, evanbrand.com, sugar. That'll redirect you to the opt-in page. You'll put your name, put your email as usual. You know how it works with summits by now. Sign up for it, and you'll get 35 talks. I mean, so you've got to do some work, and you've got to get your pen and paper out. But, hey, this is going to be worth it. And then you can support Dr. Brian's mission. You guys can buy the summit when, when it gets to that point. If you're not able to sit down for however many hours a day and watch 35 talks, I know I don't have time to do that. But buy it. You know, It's a cheap investment for the quality of information you're going to get. So if this is for you, if this is for a friend, a family member, somebody that's got prediabetes, type 2 diabetes, look – 
this is completely reversible. Like we didn't talk about type one. We're not talking about type one. We're talking type two. This is completely controllable. You can completely reverse this. So do not give up. And look, I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend a thousand dollars a month on metformin. So we didn't even chat about the drugs and the cost associated with this if you just go the conventional route. So, I mean, my God, we could do a whole nother hour on that. But let's just say it's a disaster and you don't have to go down that rabbit hole. Well said. Evan, thank you so much for having me on. This has been uh, a great, great interview and enjoyed sharing some in- powerful information with you. Yeah, thanks for thanks for you know, all, all your time and your expertise. If people want to check you out, they can go to your site. Is that the best place? Dr. Mole, M-O-W-L-L.com. Is that the best place? Right. Yeah. Just D-R-M-O-W-L-L.com. And that's the hub. You'll see all sorts of information there. We have a great blog and, uh, links to things like, uh, the diabetes summit and other events, but, uh, definitely, uh, check out Evan's talk there uh, through his page, and I know you'll enjoy it and uh, appreciate you checking it out. Awesome. All right. Take care. See ya. Thanks, Evan. Bye-bye. All right. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Just a lot of fun. Once again, I gave you the link, but I'll give it to you again because you probably didn't write it down yet. If you did, great job. Give yourself a pat on the back. The link is evanbrand.com slash sugar. That's the Diabetes Summit launching in April. Even if you just see a couple of talks is worth it. I mean, maybe you feel like diabetes is not on your radar, but it should be. Literally half the U.S. population has either pre-diabetes or diabetes, even in Brazil, uh, many, many other second and even third world countries, we're seeing diabetes. Uh, The rates are skyrocketing because these indigenous and uh, people that are eating a more ancestral diet, they're getting Nestle and all these other food companies to move in and get them off of their traditional diet. This is happening in Brazil. Uh, Doritos are being brought in and uh, candy bars and things like that. It's just absolutely destroying the population and diabetes is becoming absolutely rampant in these other countries. So we've got to put an end to this. The summit is just one way to help spread the message of that and educate people about the truth from a functional medicine perspective about diabetes. So go sign up, okay? Uh, It's going to be worth it. Once again, if you want to schedule a consult with me, you can do that at my site, will work via phone, Skype, FaceTime, whatever you want to do. And that is at evanbrand.com, E-V-A-N, last name brand, like brand name, B-R-A-N-D. That's my site. Go check me out. You could check out my Aura store. I did mention the multi during this podcast. That is called my true multi. As you notice, I don't really promote my own supplements much just because you guys find them on your own. I don't really need to push you into something, but it is a great formula. And it does have all the trace minerals and micronutrients that you would need to support someone with prediabetes or just someone who wants to make sure they've got all the micronutrients that you're probably not getting from your diet, even if you're just eating organic due to soil depletion. So it's called True Multi, and you can check that out on my site, which is evanbrand.com. You'll click the Aura Store button. That'll take you to my page, which is auraroots.com. That's my whole supplement company, all professional grade. Check it out. All right, we'll chat again next week. Be well. Bye-bye. He acts like it's all good, yeah, like everything's cool. Kiss a girl the night and never leaves her. She doesn't have a clue that he's terrible rules. Why I'm in the tire, got to watch out, girl. Don't want to see her by her eyes out, girl. Cause I've been watching, you've been hurting. Let me be the one that loves